You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Uh, today we're in Genesis chapter 16, Genesis, Genesis 16, as we dive into God's word together, we're finishing our series, Ready for a Change, Ready for a Change, and uh, we've been talking a lot about change in different facets. We've looked at the importance of uh, faith last week, faith forward. Uh, if you missed any of these, you can catch the podcast, but we, we looked at uh, the importance of taking a step of faith, you know, the, the four lepers sitting outside the gate of the city saying, why do we sit here till we die? There was this recognition that their present condition wouldn't change until something in them changed and they just said hey we've got to we've got to get up and move we've got to move in a certain direction and uh, today we're going to look at a slightly different uh, reason people get up and move and oftentimes uh, we're, we're either running to something or we're running from something I'd rather be running to something running to God's purpose running to the promise of God uh, running to freedom running to uh, and so that's actually the message title subtitle is running in to God this is a interesting story, unique story, because it's kind of a kind of an odd one in the story of Abraham. Uh, at this point, he's still called Abram uh, before God would change his name and his wife's name uh, to Sarah. And uh, both Abram and his wife, Sarai, are, are at an early stage in their, uh, they've received a covenant promise from God. And the, the, the kind of the core of that is that they were, Abraham was going to be blessed and uh, his descendants would be blessed. And through his descendants and his uh, generations to come, uh, that the whole earth would be blessed that God would, would impact the nations. And that was, of course, prophetic about God sending a Messiah, sending Jesus uh, out of Israel. God would bring a Messiah and a Savior uh, for the world. And so uh, that's a great prophetic promise, but it became very personal for Abram because Abram, while he was promised to have descendants and nations come from him, uh, him and his wife at this point were unable to have children. And uh, it's interesting that of the three patriarchs in the story of Genesis, Abraham, his son Isaac, and, and their, their grandson uh, Jacob, Abraham's grandson, all three of them had wives that were unable to, for a season, have children. And why that's important is God gave gave each of them a promise, but their present circumstance didn't seem to line up with what God had said. And whenever there's a tension or a conflict between what you see, what you feel, and what God has said, God's word wins. And that's where faith comes into play. We believe the promise. We believe the word. Now, in Abraham's, uh, Abram's particular circumstance, it would be 20 years before he would receive his promised son, Isaac. It would be 20 years from the time that God gave him the promise to when he experienced the promise. What I love about God is God's promise doesn't have an expiration date. As long as I'm alive and following Jesus, as long as I'm saying yes to God's plan, even though I don't understand, I don't see, there's no expiration date to the promise promise of God. So, so for some of us that think, oh, it's been too long, it's been too late, you know, it'll never happen. Uh, let, let me just tell you, there's some stuff you may have prayed for 20 years ago that you're about to see God do. Uh, and and it's, just, it's just so crazy to see how God works. And for God, you know, God's, God's not late in his economy. God is right on time. For us, we go, well, God, are you going to do it now? Are you going to do it this way? And we, we put God in a box and we try to figure out God. Uh, for Abram, Abram's going to do this the wrong way first. Uh, after some time goes by, he becomes discouraged. 
his wife Sarah, Sarai, as she's known at this moment, uh, begins to try to figure out, well, how are we going to make this work? And so rather than waiting on the promise of God, uh, they come up with a plan. And it's always bad to try to help God figure out his plan. Are, are you with me? Uh, it's always bad to try to come up with our own method of seeing things happen rather than letting God be God and do what he's going to do and allow him in the process and in the, in the season of waiting and season of delay to do in us what he wants to do. Uh, they, we find ourselves sometimes trying to help God out and, and do things our way. And uh, without going into the whole story, uh, there's, there's this moment where uh, Sarai comes to Abram and says, listen, uh, you know, we've been waiting. God God hasn't given us a son yet or given us a child. And not only are they waiting on the promise, but for them, especially in that culture, it was a, it was a high priority to continue on the family, to continue on both for inheritance and just survival. Uh, and so it was a point of honor. It was a point of very uh, paramount importance. So Sarai comes up with a plan to, to provide a surrogate with her maidservant, Hagar. And so she brings Hagar to Abram and through Hagar, they're about to produce Ishmael, uh, who had come before Isaac. And we're going to look at this, uh, chapter 16, verse 5. Uh, she, you know, Hagar, Hagar, Hagar excuse me, becomes pregnant uh, with the son that would be Ishmael. And, you know, initially, Sarai's okay with the plan because she came up with it. But after a while, she starts seeing the baby bump. Uh, Sarai's taking her parking space. I'm kidding. Uh, she's got, you know, the best seat, you know, in, in the house and all these things are happening. And all of a sudden she becomes, begins to despise the very thing that she had tried to make happen. And, and that's why we have to be careful what we try to make happen through manipulation, control, you know, all these things instead of letting God be God, because we might not like what we get. And she becomes frustrated, even antagonistic towards Hagar. And Hagar is going to be the focus of our uh, time today. But I want you to see this. She finally, after giving, just being totally frustrated, she goes to Abram and says, you know, my wrong be upon you. Uh, I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. And the Lord's judged between me and you. So she comes to Abram. And Abram, up to this point, hasn't seen a problem with the plan. He says, hey, Sarah, you figure it out. Uh, and so here's what he says, this maidservant is in your hand, do to her as you please. And so Sarai dealt harshly with Hagar. She dealt harshly with Hagar, and Hagar fled from Sarai's presence. This is where we're going to dive into, because here's where Hagar finds herself. She's in the middle of a situation that, to be honest, is not healthy. It's not good, and it all comes down to impatience. It all comes down to them trying to manufacture something, trying to make something happen, be the own answer to their own prayers. And this is so important that we allow God to do what he's going to do. I shared with you in the last couple of weeks, I don't know if it was Wednesday or Sunday, but just how God has done so much in River City Church. But there's so many times in our life, in our journey, we carried this in our heart for 15 plus years. Uh, and, and there were so many times where I wanted to do it my way, try this, try that, and, and just waiting on God to do it. It's much more, I, I enjoy things much more when God does it. Come on. And trying to figure it out on my own, you know, when I was single and praying for a spouse and I'm trying to figure that whole season out and then God brings my beautiful wife, Jenna, uh, and, and, you know, just to see all that God's done, uh, you know, to have Jesus at the center of something that if I had tried my own way, 
may not have happened. Are, are you with me? And so that's why it's important to allow God to do what he wants to do. God's part is to do the promise. Our part is to trust and obey what he shows us. But here we find ourselves with Hagar. Hagar has fled. And sometimes in life, it's easier to run from things than it is to face them. Uh, when it comes to a change, we've looked at it in this series, many people want things to change. And sometimes what we want to change is a problem. Uh, we're dealing with something difficult. And I kind of want to look at today well, we talked last week about stepping into something new, and I believe in that. I believe that's what we do, but sometimes as we're stepping into something new, we'd rather avoid something difficult. <laughs> and that's where she's at. Hagar, you almost can't blame her. She's, she doesn't know what to do. She's tired of it. She's being mistreated, and uh, it wasn't her idea in the first place, so now she's left Sarai's presence, and she's fled. She's running from Abraham's household. And here she finds herself about to encounter God. Three points today. Number one comes from what we're going to read in a moment. God is in pursuit of you. God is in pursuit of you. So it says that Sarai's fled from, or, or excuse me, Hagar's fled from Sarai. And here's what it says in verse seven. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from? And where are you going? She says, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The Lord asks her, and this is more than just an angel. It's often, you see it capitalized in many of your Bibles. The angel of the Lord was often, theologians call it a theophany. It's, it's a manifestation of God himself encountering people. In other words, it's God has found this woman at a place of her running. God has come to meet her. God has come to find her at the place where she's run just to escape, just to find relief, just to find safety or, or, or avoid the conflict that she's enduring. She's run, but she's run right into God because God never stops pursuing you. And that's something I want us to have as a foundation today because you have to recognize no matter whether the season is difficult or it's easy, no matter whether you're running from something or to something, you have to have at the foundation of your life an, un an unshakable confidence as a believer in Jesus that you are loved by God. And God is passionately pursuing you. And if you don't know him today, you need to recognize this, that God is after you. He loves you. He's for you. And so many times we think God's against us instead of for us. And we know he's for us because of Jesus. Because heaven, the message of Christianity is not man trying to get better and get to heaven or get to God or fix our own condition, but it's God coming down through Jesus to bridge the gap that our sin had created. He came to rescue you. He came to seek and save that which is lost. He didn't come from, for good people. He came for sinners. He came not for the religious. He came for the broken. And he comes to pursue you and me. And that's what we find in the story. Hagar has an encounter with God at the point of her running. I don't know about you, but I've marveled at the goodness of God in this, that God pursued me when I had no thought of him. He pursued me when I was running from him, when I was putting him off, when I was saying, well, tomorrow, God, maybe I'll say yes. Uh, he was pursuing. He was after. So you can't run so far that God can't find you, find you in your brokenness, find you even in your pain, and that's where she's at. First John 4.16 tells us about the love of God. 
And it actually defines love for us by seeing who God is because the world's redefining love all the time and it never gets better how the world defines love. It actually becomes cheapened, more and more diminished. But the way God defines love, we look at a cross and we look at God pursuing you and me. Verse 16, we have known and believed the love of God. You can, you can sing Jesus loves me this I know, but not believe it. We have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. Fear involves torment, and he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So, so if, if, you're, if you're overcome by fear today, draw near to Jesus. Don't meditate just on the problem. Meditate on the word of God and, and spend time in the presence of God in prayer and worship. You know what begins to happen is God's love pours in. It begins to refresh you until you're more, you're more focused and your attention is more preoccupied with God's love than it is the thing that's creating the fear. And it's not about pretending like there's not a problem. It's by being preoccupied with the answer. That's where faith comes. And he says that perfect love casts out all fear. And this is what I want you to see, verse 19. Uh, we love him. We love him. Why do we worship? Why do we pursue Jesus? Why do we dig into his word? Why do we do all the things that we do? It's not because we're trying to manufacture something or be something that we're, we're, we're responding to the greatest display of love that's ever been given. See, there's people in my life who have made sacrifices for me. There's people who've displayed what real love looks like. And I have no problem returning in kind. I have no problem saying, you know what, I'd do anything for this person. I, 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 there's, there's, no, there's nothing inconvenient because I'm responding to what they've done. And it's even more so like that with God, when I look at a cross and I look what my Savior went through for me and how he purchased me and how he pursued me. Listen, there's, there's even when I think of my own obedience or faith or sacrifice or whatever, it's, it's so minuscule compared to what Jesus has done. There's nothing I could ever do that could ever match. We love him because he first loved us. So you've got to know that you're loved by God. He's pursued you. Number two, second point, if you're taking notes, is what we find next, because the angel asks her two things. The angel of the Lord asks her two things. Where have you come from? And where are you going? Where did you come from? Can I just tell you, God's not asking questions because he doesn't know. But sometimes we don't know where we've come from. And we don't know where we're going. We don't know what's ahead. Because our confidence is built on a world that's always broken, always shaken. And so we don't know what the next step is. We don't know what the next day is going to bring. But here's what, it's, here's what it, we, we have to base our life on. We base our life on who he is, the one who's pursued us. And that's what the angel of the Lord comes and he meets this woman and the Lord says to her, where did you come from and where are you going? You're going someplace when you're going there with God. And I want to encourage you because each one of us has a choice. We honestly, we have a choice every day. 
And I want to challenge you to do number two. Point number two is take the road less traveled. That phrase originally comes from a a poem by Robert Frost. I want to read this portion to you. It says, I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood and I, I took the one last traveled by. And that has made all the difference. The angel of the Lord said to her, return, verse 9. Um, are you sure, God? Don't you know that's, that's, a, that's a difficult road? Don't you, don't you know that's a hard choice? Don't you know that's a tough conversation? I'd rather run from my issue than deal with my issue that I'm facing. None of us ever feel like that. I, I, I promise it's going to be more fun towards the end of the sermon. But can I just help you? Change, real change, real growth happens when we don't avoid the things we're called to face. And the angel of the Lord tells her, I want you to return to Sarai. I want you to return. And this instruction was going to require faith and obedience on her part, on Hagar's part. To be honest, it's not an easy decision. And the only thing that makes it easier, if you can say that, is that it's not about what people would do. It's about what God is promising to do. And we'll see the promise in just a moment. Because sometimes I can take the road less traveled. Why is it less traveled? Because it's sometimes much more difficult to obey than it is to follow my feelings, to do what's easy. Taking a step of faith is often more difficult than being led by my feelings. And here's the problem. I've already told you this at the beginning of the series. My feelings are flaky. I like to camp. I like to hike. And uh, I remember when my oldest, we went up uh, camping. My dad and I, we took a men's, we did a men's camping trip up in the mountains uh, east of Phoenix. And uh, it's about an hour and a half out. It's one of my favorite camping places. And we go up high in the mountains. And, and uh, I'm, I'm fairly familiar with the area we're going to. But the elevation's super high. And any, any incline, any hike is exhausting, uh, even if you're in shape, because of the different oxygen levels. And it's, it's harder to hike. And, and so we get on this trail to go see a lake that we would visit every time we go camping there. And so we go down uh, with our group, my son, my oldest, Sam, and, and my dad, and we go down there, and uh, we go see the lake. And on our way back, it's starting to get dark. It's starting to get late. And our party, our group, decides to go what I think is the long way. And so they go down a road that I go, oh, that's, that's the long way. You guys don't need to go that way. And they go, well, this, this makes the most sense. So, so the party goes that way, and I decide that I'm going to take my road. What I think is the shortcut that's off the trail and instead is I'm going through the sticks. I'm going through the woods. I'm going. And so I, I have a, a general idea of where our camp is and I decide I'm going to head that direction. The problem is after climbing the hill and getting back out of where the lake was and towards our camp, I became exhausted. My son actually at the time wasn't feeling that well. So I started carrying him and, you know, uh, I don't know how much, you know, he was, he was five, so he couldn't have weighed much at the time. And, but I'm picking him up and it feels like I'm carrying 200 pounds after I've been, you know, going up there and, and we're getting exhausted and, and I'm, you know, my dad actually was with me and I'm telling him, I'm like, I know the way. 
I feel it. It's this way. And eventually, thankfully, the good news is I did make it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be standing here. But sometimes, you know, there's, there's something you bring with you when you go camping and hiking. It's called a compass. And the compass and with the map helps you get your bearings when you can't trust your feelings. There has to be something outside of myself that lets me know this is north. There has to be something outside of myself that points me in the right direction. Because, let's just be honest, people are really good at, all of us, myself included, really good at lying to ourselves. The Bible says in Jeremiah that the heart, that, that you know, we, we say this, you know, follow your heart. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> that's super deep don't follow your heart no so so, so here's here's the problem here's here's why i want you to actually catch this um jeremiah 17 9 the heart is deceitful above all things ouch and even desperately wicked who can know it? in other words i i can't there's god's words letting me know i can't know myself i have to have something outside of myself that functions like that compass because I can be really good at justifying what I shouldn't justify or telling myself this is the right way and it's actually a road that's going to be destructive. And, and this is why we need God's word. Because God's word, God's given us the map and he's given us the compass. He's given us the word and he's given us the Holy Spirit. This, who's called the spirit of truth, who will lead me into all truth. So as I'm surrendered to Jesus, God uses his word and the leading of the Holy Spirit to help me uncover, because it's really hard when, you know, listen, God's word heals, strengthens, encourages, builds up. God's word also confronts the lies that I believed. And it's fine until it confronts my favorite lies. Like, it's one thing for us to go, yeah, I didn't like that one anyway. Like, I, I was done with that lie. Like, that's, I have no problem exchanging it. It's the ones that we like that are the hardest to deal with, and we'd rather run. And so the angel of the Lord comes to her and gives her an instruction that is going to be a tough decision for her, but it's actually going to position her for something so much greater. And we're going to see what that is in just a moment. The Bible, uh, Jesus' first message, his first sermon was very simple. Matthew 4, 17. Uh, here's what he says. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, like many words, you know, I, I preached a four-week series on the word holy and how many times, you know, we've kind of, because of religion, we've, we've taken words and distorted them to the point where they no longer give life. They're actually become destructive. And the word repent has been misunderstood. I think it's an important word. It's a vital word. Well, that's why Jesus is giving at the very beginning his first sermon. And, and sometimes we, re, we reduce it to something or we change it. And here's, here's why this word is so important. Because he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God's kingdom is there. It's available. It's within reach, you could say. Why? Because the king was there. Jesus was there. And he tells them this word because sometimes, listen, we think it's just you know, and, and I believe that there's sometimes a response, you know, I've cried, I've done I've, all those things, but I've also, uh, I, I know this, I can, I can weep and not repent. 
I can have a religious reaction and not actually, because what the word means, literally, here's the definition, to change the mind, metaneo, to change the mind. And so it starts with the change of belief, and it starts when God's word confronts my favorite lie, and then I begin to say yes to the truth, which leads to freedom. And so I accept the truth of God's word, and it starts with what I believe about God. I think that's so important because the problem is a lot of the world is okay with Jesus, but it may not be the same Jesus that's in the Bible. Because sometimes we make a form of God that we fashion after our own. So, so here's, here's how we know. Whenever we come to God's word, to the truth, and we go, oh, I don't like that. I don't, I don't, and we begin to change our view of God based on our feelings instead of the truth of what God's word says, then what we have is a God made in our image, not the God of the Bible. I know it's a little heavy for Sunday morning at nine o'clock. But this is important. This is really important. This is, this is the key to freedom. This is the key to, 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 to stepping out of what's held you into what God's promised for you because the kingdom is at hand. It's available. Everything that God's ever promised is within reach. But it starts with what I believe about God. And the next part of that is what I frankly believe about myself in relation to God. I don't think I've ever seen more confusion in people than right now. People don't know where they came from. And if you don't know where you came from, you can't know where you're going. Do you know it actually says of Jesus that towards the end of his ministry, here's what it says. He says he knew he came from God. Obviously, he is God. He's the son of God. But he, he knew who he was. And so he wasn't moved by people's opinions. He was on an assignment. And he didn't change. So, so when, when the crowd says, crown him, he's no more moved by that. And when they shall crucify him, he's no more moved by that. Because who he is isn't defined by feelings and by others. Because he knows where he came from and he knows where he's going. And that's what he's made available for all of us. Because you came from God and God has a plan for your life. And so we can move forward with that. But I challenge you to take the road less traveled. Which oftentimes looks like trust and obedience to God in areas where it may not be. Listen, it's easy to obey in the stuff that's easy. But it's in the stuff where I go, God, this is, when, when, you, when you show up from Florida and the wind is blowing, I'm not speaking this to our team up in the front, <laughs> I'm joking. No, no, but, but this is so important, that we stay anchored to, to God's presence, God's word, and we're led by him. All right, um, the third point, this is, uh, let's go back to, yeah, verse 10, Genesis 16, 10. Then the angel of the Lord says to her, this is, this is the promise. This is why. This is the fruit of what's going to happen. God's letting her know as she says yes to maybe a difficult thing, doing a hard thing, but it's a thing that God's told her to do. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly, so they shall be not counted for multitude. In other words, you can't even count. <laughs> She, she was a maidservant in their culture, in their society, was, was considered less than. People had rejected, even those closest to her, had, had hurt her, had pushed her away, had mistreated her. And yet, this woman finds in God's presence 
a promise that isn't based on people's opinions and how they've treated her. It's actually based on what God's going to do. And so God tells her, I want you to trust me. I want you to go and I want you to do what's difficult. Because here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to multiply and I'm going to produce what, what, what's incomparable. And he says, you're going to have a son. His name's going to be Ishmael, which means the Lord has heard. And she has an encounter with God in this moment that so impacts her. Here's what it says, verse 11. The angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you're with child. You'll bear a son. You should call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. Number three, the final point is run to the one who sees you. Run to the one who sees you. She called the name of the Lord. Verse 13, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. And she, she's going to give this name. Pause there for a second. Throughout the Bible, we see the names of God. God's names reveal who he is. They reveal his nature. So God would tell Israel, they would know him generally as God. It's kind of like Elohim or El, and, and, and the Hebrew language is just a general word for God. But then he begins to get personal. He describes himself as Yahweh, Jehovah. It's a covenant name of God, a personal name. And then attached to that, he says, I am Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals you. So, so why we need to know his nature and his names is because if you know his nature, Jason, if you want to go ahead, if you know his nature, it's more than just God help me in this moment and then he brings the answer for that moment. It's knowing the source who has an answer in every moment. If I know who he is, I can go to him in any situation. If I know I have Jehovah Rapha, or I have Jehovah Jireh, the provider, that's what that means. So the names of God reveal his nature. And in this moment, this woman finds something about God that she hasn't known yet because she's, all, she's used to being forgotten. She's used to being overlooked. You know, I think one of the most common things that's, that's a human need in the heart of every single person alive is the desire and the need to be known and understood. And she's been alone and she's been isolated and now she's been mistreated and she's on the run and she doesn't know what to do next and she could stay in the desert. But God comes to her and says, I've got a promise for you. You're not going to die in the desert. You're not going to be alone. You're going to have a son. And nations multiply descendants. In other words, God's saying, you've got a future. You've got a promise. And Hagar, in response, calls the name of the Lord. You are the God who sees. For she said, have I seen the one? She realizes this isn't just an angel. <laughs> this isn't just an experience. This has been the Lord. And have I seen the God who sees me? And that place from that moment on is known as Bir Lahai Roi, which means the well of him who lives and sees me. And every time someone would go there to draw water, they knew that was the place where a woman ran into God. And she was seen. And she was known. Would you stand to your feet? 
she was running from her pain, but she ran into God. Can I just let you know, God sees and he knows. And even if people don't, he does. You are not alone. You know, one of the most common lies that people believe is they're alone in their difficult season. They're alone in their pain. They're alone in their shame. They're alone in their fear. And the enemy comes with a voice to try to amplify that, to isolate you, to make you feel like God doesn't hear your prayer and God is far away and he's a million miles away. And there's just that lie that we, if we accept it and believe it more than we believe God loves me. That's why we need to be reminded every day of what Jesus has done until we believe it more than we believe anything else. God sees you. He knows you. He loves you. Only Jesus can free you. Only Jesus can heal you. Only Jesus can save you. So let's run to the God who sees us, the one who knows you. I'm asking you to bow your heads, close your eyes for a moment. And we'll be out of here in just a second. But before we... We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.